0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Easter is sort of a big day for Christians and churches. It's by far the biggest attendance day in the church calendar. I think uh, something like 90 some percent of pastors report their biggest crowds of the year on Easter, Easter Sunday, Easter weekend. It's sort of like the uh, the Christian Super Bowl. It's the big event. We all get excited about it, and so you guys may have seen some ads running on TV, ads on in radio. Uh, you might have seen some ads online, maybe from us. Uh, maybe somebody is uh, passing out flyers or putting them on your windshield at, while you're trying to get some groceries inside, or maybe somebody at work handed you an invite card, maybe one of ours, uh, uh, so it, it's, it's we, we sort of like smell like kind of blood in the water. Quite frankly, just to be honest with you, because it's it's the, it's the Sunday where people will come to church, and so you like you want to invite people. Hey, come to church, because uh, you know maybe some of us here or a, a lot of people they come to church like Easter and maybe Christmas and, and maybe that's it. So we're like, hey, we get a, like a big crowd. So let's go after it. And so we, we really go after it. We really get really excited about it. Um, so you might be here because you were invited to come. You might be here because you were cajoled into coming. This Morning. You might be here because you were like outright just bribed to come here this morning. Maybe somebody said, I'll buy you lunch if you come, or you know, I'll, I'll give you my, my parking space at work for uh, a couple weeks if you come, or you know, whatever reason that kind of brought you here. You may have come uh, to be nice, you may have come to maybe repay a debt to somebody. Hey, I owe you one, or hey, you owe me once you come to church with me uh, on Easter. Uh, you might be here because to, you're just trying to get somebody off your back quite frankly. Somebody's been pestering you to come so much. You're like, okay, I'll come on Easter, and then you can, you know, get it off the list. You're like, don't bother me anymore about it. Um, Or maybe you're here just out of curiosity this morning. People in churches all across the country, all across the world this morning, out of one of those reasons. Um, So if that's the case, then there's a mixture of thoughts and emotions this morning as we gather. If you're a Christian you might have even have a mixture of thoughts and emotions this morning because this is the big deal, right? I mean, if you can't get up for Easter, then, you know, what in the world are you going to get up for? It's like if you're a Clemson fan or a Carolina fan, if you can't get up for the Clemson-Carolina game, then, you know, you're not really a football fan. That's, that's fine if you want to wear the colors and fly them at your house, but if you can't get up, if you're not going to set aside time to watch that game, then you're not really a fan. But maybe, it's maybe, You come here this morning and you feel a little bit like you're looking from the outside in. Like, you might be a Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. Maybe you've been to church all your life, or you rarely ever come to church. And for, for some reason, even though this is the big Christian day, like, Jesus rose from the dead. It's, everybody's excited. The, the band wore bow ties. I mean, that's a really big deal. It's, so, like, big stuff going on, but maybe you, like, everybody's excited. Things are going on. People are inviting, like, running ads. There's flyers. People, bigger crowd than usual. And yet, you feel maybe a little bit like you're looking from the outside in. Because you don't have the corresponding emotions and feelings and thoughts that you feel that you're supposed to have on this morning, you're you sort of feel a little bit on the outside, on the outside, like you're an outsider looking in. Like it doesn't just register with you like it does, like you feel maybe with the people around you. And and I would hazard to say there's probably a, maybe a number of us here got up excited this morning and the first I mean. I've had Easter's where I woke up and the first words like, that ran through my head is he is risen and the rest of the day was just like amazing celebration and sometimes I just don't really feel the corresponding emotions that I feel I'm supposed to feel about the deal. And I feel a little bit like maybe why, what is wrong with me that I'm not feeling the things, I'm not thinking the things that the other people really are. And if you're here and you're feeling and thinking that way, then you find yourself in really good company. Because we see in this passage that we that was just read for us by Allison that that's sort of been our history from day one, like. On the day of resurrection, Easter Sunday, before he was even known as Easter Sunday, Jesus had been, he had born of a Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life. He had called his disciples to come and follow him, 12 to be close to him, three to even be closer. And then there was a a group of people around him that followed him around, saw him do amazing things. He was an amazing teacher. Thousands and thousands of people would, would come to hear him teach. They would also come to see him do miracles. He would do amazing things like turn a couple of loaves of bread, bread and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 people or more. He would he heal the sick. The people, they were dead. And he, he, he prayed for them. He touched them. He just spoke to them. And they responded and rose from the dead. It was the man who had been in the grave, his own grave, for three days. And Jesus walked up and just, like, commanded Lazarus come out. And the man who had been dead three days. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever, like, Like drove by some roadkill that's been sitting there for a couple of days. It has a particular odor to it. He would have had a particular odor to him, and yet when God spoke to him, Jesus, God incarnate, spoke, he came out of the grave. They had seen him do some amazing things. They had great hope that he was going to be the king who was going to come and make all things right. He was going to free the nation of Israel from Roman oppression, and he was going to be the king that had power like a prophet and uh, the wisdom of a king and the heart of a priest who ruled over God's people and made all things right. And they welcome him on Palm Sunday a week before today. They welcome him into Jerusalem. Sorry, I keep messing with this. They, they, they welcome him into Jerusalem like a king who's coming to the city to reign. And yet, a few days later, there's a plot that is hatched to kill him. And his disciples who had seen him do all these amazing miracles, who had heard him teach, all of a sudden, they're left alone. They saw him, you see, get dragged away. They saw him get scourged. They saw him nailed to a cross. And then after he died on his own, they saw a Roman soldier pierced him in the side with a spear, and they saw blood and water flow out. They saw it. And now they're away hiding in a room. Now, Jesus had been with them this whole time. They had seen him do amazing things, and he actually flat out told them. He started out in some riddles, but before the time is done, before his walk to Calvary is complete, he tells them flat out, here's what's gonna happen. I am gonna be turned over. I'm gonna be killed I'm going to be dead for three days and then I'm going to rise again on the third day. He told them that over and over and over again. In fact, he had told them enough that it was a rumor that the ruling authorities in the area after they killed Jesus and put him in the tomb, they set a guard at the tomb. Why would you set a guard on the tomb? Because they said, "He we know he's dead, but the rumor is out that he's going to raise again on the third day." And so maybe his disciples were going to come in and try to sneak in and grab his body and go hide it somewhere and claim that he had been risen. And so they said Two Roman guards, at penalty, if you left your post as a Roman guard, you would be penalized by death. Like, there was no, like, second chance. There's no two strikes and you're out or one strike and you're out. It's one strike and you are, you are gone. And so at your penalty of falling, even falling asleep, much less leaving your post, they leave guards at the tomb. And the disciples who had heard him say this, they hide in a room with the doors and the windows locked because they're afraid that the authorities might come after them too. So if you're here this morning and you have some doubts, you don't have emotions, you're wondering what, if this whole thing is real or if it's just a fable or if it's fake, the disciples who had walked with Jesus for three years were doing the same thing, hiding in a room in a corner of the town. And then on the third day, on Sunday morning, some women. And This is how one reason that we know this story is not just some fable that somebody made up. Because if you were a, a, a Jewish man making up a story about the Messiah who had come, you would not make a woman to be the first person who would see Christ. Because their testimony wasn't even admissible in court. And yet Jesus turns the whole thing on his head when Mary and her girls show up and they're going to anoint the body because they were in such a rush to get him in the tomb they didn't have a chance to properly prepare him for burial and the Jewish rites of burial. And they show up. They're not expecting him to be risen. They're expecting to anoint his body so he can be buried. They're not believing. And yet they walk up and their stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty and there's an angel there saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then Mary runs off and tells the disciples. And now think about this. If you're hiding in the room and somebody comes and says, like, the body is gone, they've done something with it, you got to have to come see. Like, don't you think you would want to run and see? But the disciples are still so scared that only two of them are recorded as coming to the tomb and seeing what's going on, Peter and John. And Peter and John get there, and they had been two of the closest people to Jesus the whole entire time. And they get there, they get there, and they see the tomb is empty. And it says that John believed at that moment, but it doesn't tell us that Peter believed. And they went back and told the other dudes what's going on. Mary stays and gets to meet Jesus before he goes up to heaven for for his first ascension. But the disciples don't because they're just wondering what's going on. They want to get back to safety. They get back and they tell the other guys, here's what's going on. And this is how convinced they were that Jesus had done what he said he was going to do. They locked the doors again and they hid for another week. News that he had risen Mary comes and tells them, he is risen, I have seen him. And yet they keep the doors locked and the windows locked. And then eight days later, or the, eight Jewish days later, it's actually next Sunday, so a week from today. He, they're in the room, hanging out. I don't know what they're doing. They're waiting for something to happen. They're sitting there waiting, hiding, scared, alone, afraid probably to go out. And they're sitting there, and Jesus comes and appears to them. Now, there's one thing that's interesting about this, though. Jesus had walked closely with his 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him, right? Judas. So, you guys follow that story? Now, there's 11 close dudes left to him. They had walked with him for three years, they had each sacrificed their livelihood and had given it up for him. They left. So then some of them were fishermen. They were they were fishing, they were doing with their they're messing with their nets. They were right there in the boats. He comes to them and he says, Follow me, and they drop the nets, leave the boats, and come follow him. They had left their livelihood to follow him. They had watched him for three years. And yet, when Jesus appears to them, there's one of them missing. Look at look at John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. Now, when Jesus makes his grand entrance to them in kind of somewhat dramatic fashion, the doors are locked, the windows are are barred, he comes and he appears in their midst. Which is kind of amazing, right? So Jesus, who was 100% God, 100% man, He's been crucified, he's risen again, so he knows all things, he is all powerful, like locked doors and walls aren't keeping him out of anything. Do you think he could have managed, he could have scheduled a time to appear to them when Thomas was going to be with them? He absolutely could have. And yet he scheduled his grand entrance, his grand appearance to his disciples when one of them would be missing. It's as he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they believed. But Thomas wasn't there. You know what he was doing with Thomas? He was orchestrating something particular in Thomas's life, and he's doing the same in yours. You may feel like you're left out and locked out. You may feel like your path in life has been harder than other people around you. You may feel like you have had the, all the bad breaks go for you. You've never had a good break. You may feel like you, you didn't have the benefit of a godly family. You didn't have the benefit of a smart intellect. You may not have the benefit of growing up in church. or Whatever thing that you think you might be missing out on, Life has been tough for you, it's taken some tough turns, money has been tight, you got physical ailments, like you feel like the people around you, they found a mate, and I haven't been able to find a mate, you feel like you're on the outside looking in, and Thomas felt the same way when he comes back. Can you imagine what he must have felt like when he comes back to the room, and they say, man, you will never believe it, you missed it. You ever had somebody at work like, hey, did you see the game last night? And you're like, no, I missed it. Like, no, you got to see this. You can pull it up on YouTube. You can watch it on SportsCenter. You can see what happened. But like, you feel like, man, I missed it. Like, he missed the Savior making his grand appearance to his disciples. Think of what he must have felt. He felt on the outside looking in. And so then in verse 25, we see. so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. You imagine how excited they were, like you're telling something exciting to somebody else and it's just not registering with them, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe." This response is coming out a mixture of thoughts and feelings and emotions that Thomas is having. Think of the thoughts that must have been running through his minds. They're probably running wildly between hope and hurt. Like, man, what if this is true? If it's true, it changes everything yet hurt. Like, why would he not appear to me? Am I a second class citizen? Why did he even ask me to follow him? I gave up everything I have. I've walked with him for three years. Back and forth between hope hurt and maybe you can identify with that you probably ran back and forth between belief and doubt like it's got to be true I mean there's 10 people in this room saying it's true like did they all like like take you know take some drugs while I was gone and they all like had this crazy hallucinogenic experience together that I missed out on or are they telling the truth And yet, doubt. And it leaves him with a response unless, unless I see the hands, the the hands, and the mark and the nails in his hands, and place my finger into those marks, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you're like, hey, maybe this Jesus thing, maybe this God thing is good for the people around me, my friends, my family. Like They're kind of put on the hook that way. But that's not really how I'm put on the hook. I'm more of a, I'm more of a, a it depends on what word you put on it. I'm kind of sort of a natural skeptic. Maybe you're a natural skeptic. Hey, I want to see some proof. It drives my wife crazy. There's so many times she'll come in and tell me something, and I have to go see it for myself to make sure it's true. I mean, I trust her. I love her. But, and it drives her crazy. Like, why won't you just believe what I told you? I, I don't know. I just have to see it for myself. I have to, like, the, the remote's not working. Well, I, I need to come and look at it and deal with it myself. I need to figure out what's going on myself. And maybe you're putting the hook that way. Maybe, or maybe like, hey, my life is pretty good. Like, maybe you need like the crutch of religion, you need the crutch of a savior, you need the crutch of Christianity. But that's just, I just don't feel the need for it myself. Unless I place my finger in the holes in his hand and put my hand in the hole in his side, I will not believe. But then, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now he's had to live a week with the disciples around him talking about seeing Jesus. And like, hey, did you notice? Like, where did he come from? He just appeared in here. Wasn't that crazy? Like, it was amazing. We were just talking in one minute and then Jesus is there and we're talking with him. He was dead. We saw him. Like, all. I mean, I, you think, like, they would die. it would be the dominant conversation going on. You're stuck in this room with the other ten disciples talking about it all week long and you're the one on the outside looking in. But then, at just the right moment, look at this. Do you think God had a lot of stuff going on in engineering? Like, his son becoming flesh, him being crucified and taking like the sins of the world upon him and procuring salvation for humanity, he had a lot of stuff going on. Do you think God has a lot of stuff going on? Like the Bible says that he upholds the world by the word of his power. No matter how, no matter how science gets closer and closer and closer, looking at the very nature of matter, we can't get beyond. There's something holding it all together. They call it the God particle. He upholds all things by the word of his power. At this very moment, the stars are flaming because he is giving them power. He's holding it together. The fact that this, the world does not devolve and implode into a giant black hole, he is holding it all by the word of his power together. He has a lot of stuff on his plate. And yet he engineered his first appearance to the other disciples because he loved Thomas and he wanted to secure his belief. He wanted to deal with his heart in a very personal way. And that's the way God is dealing with you. He's engineering and working your life The good and the bad, the parts that you understand, that you think you understand, and the parts that you do not understand, he is working them all together for his purpose and for your good. At the right moment, verse 28. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came. Although the doors were locked, although you try to lock him out of your life, although you try to fill your time and attention with all kinds of other things that will draw your attention away from him, it may be cars, it may be women, it may be guys, it may be career, it may be kids, it may be possessions, it may be fashion, it may be TV, it may be, and it could be all all kinds of things. It might be academics. <clears throat> Whatever you fill your time and attention with to try to lock out that feeling, those, those mixtures of a feeling of hope and despair, of, of belief and disbelief, he appears at just the right time to you. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, think of that. All this time, Thomas has been thinking, he isn't, if it was him, he doesn't love me, he doesn't want me apart, he has me locked out, or maybe I'm just too skeptical. Skeptical. These guys, they are easy believers. They believe anything. They're, they're weak they're will, but I'm like sort of a man of, of letters. I'm a man of books. I need to see something. I need to feel it. I'm a man of science. I need to know that it's true. He says to Thomas, put your finger here. He appears to them and then he looks at him individually. Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, this is interesting because at this point we know that Jesus had been raised from the dead. We know that he's in a body because he, he comes when he appears to the disciples in another passage. He says, Hey, I'm flesh and blood. I'm not a ghost. I am real. You can touch me. You can feel me. I can sit down with you. He appears another time with the disciples and he cooks them breakfast. Isn't that really cool? I love breakfast. He comes up and he shows up and he cooks breakfast for them and he serves them breakfast. Isn't breakfast awesome? It's a great meal. I mean, you could go in all kinds of different directions with breakfast. You can go heavy. You can go like, what kind of what kind of other meal can you eat a, a cake and call it coffee cake or a cinnamon bun and call it a meal? You can go healthy. You can go like you can go all over the map of breakfast. It's awesome. I wake up in the morning. My first thought, well, my first thought is I need to go take care of something. And then my next thought is I need coffee and I need some breakfast right now. I love it. And he appears to them. He's so real. He cares about their daily and momentary needs while they're out fishing. He cooks them breakfast, and then not only does he cook it for them, but he sits down and eats it with them. He was a human being, yet a body, and yet. He appears to them. So, like, here's the question that that should stand out in this passage. Why does Jesus still have holes in his hands and a hole in his side? Because as Christians, we believe that we're going to be resurrected. And and our resurrected, glorified bodies, like, we're going to be bodies. We're not going to be spirits floating around. We're not going to be ghosts floating around. We're going to be real human beings. And yet we believe that, like, sickness and disease is going to be gone and wiped away. Doesn't that make you want to, even if you don't believe that's true, don't you wish that was true? And yet Jesus appears to them and the hole is still in his hand and in his side. Why is that? And it's this moment when when Thomas sees him and encounters him, when he sees The man that he walked with for three years who was God incarnate and yet man when he sees that he came to be wounded for me it changes the game for him. You see Thomas had heard him he had heard all his teachings he had seen all the miracles but Jesus didn't come to teach He came to save. Because you and I didn't need a new code to believe in. You and I didn't need a new belief system. You and I didn't just need somebody to tell us the right way to live and the wrong way to live. The the Bible tells us all those things. We needed somebody to come and take care of the problem that you and I are eternally separated from the one who we were created for. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And if you wanted a relationship with him, you could not have one because your own sin, your own rebellion separates you from him like an ocean. It was an ocean that you and I could not cross because we could not and we would not if we wanted to. And you, you and I did not want to. We needed somebody to take care of the sin problem for us, to die for us, to pay the penalty for us. And then we needed somebody to change my heart. Because even if God took care of that for me, I need a heart that says I want to follow after him. I was made for him, and I want to serve him and love him and give my life to him. I need somebody to change that very nature at the heart and soul of who I am. I needed a miracle. And that doesn't come by great teaching, though he had amazing teaching. It doesn't come by seeing miracles, though he did amazing miracles. It comes by the miracle that happens whenever he was laid upon that cross. And his hands and feet and side were pierced to pay for a debt that you and I could not pay on our own. Jesus in his glorified body is still bearing as He stands before Thomas, the holes in his hands and his side because we needed a wounded God. We didn't just need a man to come and teach us. We didn't just need a God to show up and tell us that he, we were made for him to follow after him. We needed a God man to come and be wounded for us, to pay the penalty for us. This tells us something. It means it's not enough to hear and believe Jesus' teaching. You might have heard and believed a lot of stuff that Jesus said. It's not enough to leave everything to change your lifestyle. Thomas had left everything he had heard and seen Jesus' entire ministry. But there was a kind of belief that was missing. And this encounter changed everything For Thomas, more than the years that he spent with Jesus, three years he had spent with him, and yet his life wasn't changed as much as this one moment when he sees a wounded God. A God who was gored, a God who was broken for him. And not just was at one time wounded or gored for him, but was still bearing in his flesh the wounds that he had paid for him. And he bears those wounds still for you and for me. Jesus didn't come to teach. He came to be wounded. He came to save. And if you and I don't believe in a wounded God, then we're missing the point just like Thomas. If Jesus was and is a wounded God, then it means a few things. It means one, it means Jesus knows me. It means God knows me, and he knows you. This is how much God cared. This is how much God loved, that he came. This is so close to blasphemy, but it's the truth. The second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and became 100% God, 100% man at the same time. And he, even though God sits outside of time, I don't know how it works, but, but somehow he became a human being. And then whenever he, he got a body on earth and whenever he was crucified, he rose again, he took that body back, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, a human being, a wounded God before the Father, and it means that he knows you and me. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to be homeless. The Son of Man had no roof to call his own. He knows what it's like to deal with loss, to deal with family issues. He knows all that. God knows. Not just like knows like he read it in a book. He knows it like he walked in your shoes and my shoes. We have a God, a Jesus who knows you and knows me. It means that Jesus came after me. God, in, like he's up in heaven and like he created the world and he could have just watched us, just the whole story play out, like pop some popcorn and watch it play out like a movie. Like, look, that's interesting. Look what they're doing. But he came after you. It was an elaborate scheme. The second person that God had became human and he became human not to come and show us an example, though he did, not to come and teach us lessons, though he did. He came to be wounded for you and me. He came after you and he came after me. It means that Jesus understands me. Not only does he know me, not only did he come after me in elaborate scheme. That he understands me. Think about this. God knows all things. And so he knew that Thomas, in the report that the apostles gave him after Jesus had appeared to them, he, God knew, Jesus knew that Thomas said, I don't believe. And Jesus could have been incredulous like I told you over and over again. You've had multiple people who have seen me. The tomb is empty. Nobody knows where my body is. Mary saw me. The other disciples saw me. Shouldn't you believe? And he does. He does not just totally gentle with Thomas. He does say, Hey, don't, like, you need to leave the doubt behind. It's time to believe in me. But he knew Thomas had said all that, and yet he appeared and speaks to him personally. And he could have said, you should have believed me from the beginning. But he offers his hand and his side. He didn't have to do that. And we don't have any reason to believe that Thomas took him up on it. But he offered. He showed up knowing where Thomas was coming from. Jesus understands you. He knows all of your doubts. He knows all of your failings. He knows all of your secret sins and your public sins. He knows of how you treated other people. He knows how they have treated you. He knows how life has gone well for you and life has gone poorly for you. He knows and he understands all of that. You have a Jesus, a God, who can sympathize with everything. It means He knows me. It means He came after me. It means that He understands me. And it means that Jesus took the fall for me. It means Jesus took a bullet for me. It means He was the hero who stepped up when nobody else would step up for you. And He gave Himself totally for you. He still has holes in his hands. God has holes in his hands and holes in his side and holes in his feet for you. He took a bullet for you and he took a bullet for me. He took the fall that you and I had coming. He took it for us. It means that Jesus is committed to me. It means he's committed to you. Right now, in the presence of the Father, the Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth, is the God-man, Jesus Christ, standing before the Father with holes in his hands and side and feet. A wounded God is standing before God. I don't even know how you say that. But a wounded God is standing before God right now for you if you're a believer in Christ. It says that he's continually offering up intercession for you. It means he is continually standing in the gap for you. It's like God was here and you were here and there was a gap. You couldn't make it. He filled the gap and he is continually and constantly standing in that ocean-wide gap between you and God continually before the Father. It's the subject of the accolades of heaven towards Jesus. The angels and saints and creatures that you and I can't comprehend and wouldn't want to if we could in our present state are worshiping him. It's the reason they're worshiping him. It's the the lyrics to their songs. They have seen, think of this, they have seen his might and his power throughout all of eternity. They have seen him create the universe. They have seen him do amazing things. And yet, as Jesus Christ is standing before the Father, the subject of their adoration and wonder are the four scars that are on the body of Jesus at this very moment. They wonder at it, Scripture says. The subject of their adoration and wonder are the scars that Jesus offered to Thomas And it bears for you and for me. But every time we get a glimpse of what's going on in heaven... They could praise him for the universe. They could praise him for the world. They could praise him for creating giraffes and ostriches. They could praise him for amazing sunsets. They could praise him for all kinds of things. But what they stand and wonder and awe of. Revelations five six. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. When they see him in heaven, he is standing. But he could stand in glory. He could stand as the second person of God and all the resplendent glory that comes along with that, but he is standing as a lamb who was slain. Verse verse. Nine and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why was he worthy? Because he's the second person that God had, because he's amazing. They said, for you were slain and by your blood, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Saying with a loud voice, verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, Listen, this, this, is the, this is the worship of the world. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And it's to that wounded God that John responds in verse 28. And Thomas answered him. I don't have any reason to believe he stuck his finger in the hole or his hand in the hole. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Suddenly when Thomas is confronted with the risen, wounded Lord, it means that the conditions are off. He said, unless I put my finger in and my hand in, I won't believe. But when he sees a wounded God for him, the conditions are gone. And all he can do is bow his knee And he hears coming from somewhere in the depths of his soul. Not only are you the Lord, but you are my Lord. That means you're my King. You're my everything. I am your servant. I am your. You are it. My life now revolves around you. Because if if the resurrection is true, if God is wounded for you and I, then all bets are off. All the all the terms that you and I want to set are all by the all by the wayside. And all of a sudden, whatever bargaining chips I'm holding feel really stupid, don't they? If He's a God who cares enough to come and is mighty enough to save me, then all of a sudden, like Thomas, I'm left feeling like an ungrateful fool before such a man and before such a God. I no longer have the right or desire to make silly demands. I simply bow my knee, tears flowing from my eyes, without words yet except somewhere from the depth of my soul, I hear myself, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Jesus, we celebrate this morning. In the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our foolishness, in the midst of our terms that we have set, in the midst of our, our lack of emotions, we come confronted today with a wounded God. A God who was who took the bullet for me, who came for me, who loved me, who cares for me, who understands me. And if all that is true, then all bets are off. If all that is true, then all my stupid terms are silly and ridiculous. All my conditions are are blown away with. Father, I pray if there's any person here who is... mired in doubt. Maybe they're like Thomas and they've seen and heard all about you. They've grown up around you. They've heard the story over and over again. But I pray this morning they would be confronted by a wounded God who came after them, who cares for them, who rescued them and stands wounded now for them. If there's any person here who is mired in doubt, I pray you would make yourself real to them. And to those here today who are believers in Jesus Christ, I pray you would renew in our hearts this morning the cry, my Lord and my God, and we would be overwhelmed and overcome by the truth of a God who came for us, cares for us, is committed to us, And it's wounded for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.